Like to have everybody's attention for a moment. There's a stat. I don't like bringing up stats, but there's one stat about the Panthers. He's in the world is James Harden better score than Michael Jordan. No, he's a more creative in that. He's, Traveling he, is not creative, he Brandon. Does, he does. You know, no matter what the score is, and they've said it themselves, whether they're up 10, down 10, down 20, whatever, they know they can turn it on whenever. Why did you have to bring up the Cowboys in this conversation? <laughs> Lived in Texas for two years and just could not stand to watch Cowboys football. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, listen up, listen up. Welcome to The Rundown. Here's Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to The Rundown, or should I say welcome to The Rundown. Happy 2021 to all of our fans and listeners out there. Uh, shout out to everybody on Tobacco uh, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Uh, we are back from our holiday break. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Loaded show today. Uh, you know, we've got Monty Gray, the new head coach over at East Forsyth, men's basketball, high school basketball starting off. So basically a high school basketball preview uh, here in the triad from the Greensboro News and Record and Winston-Salem Journal. Joe Serrero stopped by to talk about some of the top teams in the area to look out for. And we'll give you some info on how to be able to listen to some of these games over the course of the season here on Tobacco Road here in the triad. Um we also have Skylar Callahan, uh, Sports Illustrated Panther beat writer, who will come on to talk to us a little bit about the end of the season for the Panthers and what to look forward to next. But right now, starting off the show, I've got my man Brandon Blakeney, who's been gone from the rundown for a couple of months now. He's been yes, busy. Sir. We've been busy. We've been trying to yeah, figure this out, how to get him on. And uh, we figured out a way to get him on for this episode here. I wanted him to come on and talk a little ACC talk. Uh, as college basketball kicks into gear here at the beginning of January. And I wanted to talk a little ACC basketball with Brandon. That's why I brought him on. Uh, in particular, Carolina, NC State, and Duke. Because uh, some of these teams have players on them that Brandon, if you don't know, Brandon's kind of our high school uh, prep expert here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. He's very well-versed and knows a lot of these kids that play high-level football, basketball, baseball, you name it, uh, in the triad and points beyond. Um, we've had, you know, top-level number one recruits on, mm-hmm. live with Brandon Blakeney. You know, we've had him on the rundown, and a lot of that stuff goes through Brandon's pipeline. So I, I wanted to start off with Carolina first. Uh, Carolina, they've won two straight uh, in the ACC on last-second shots. Uh, one from Leaky Black uh, versus Notre Dame. That game was thrown together in 48 hours right. um, this past weekend. And then uh, this past uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, um, Andrew Playtech with the last second shot versus Miami uh, to pull them ahead there. I'm pretty sure this is Roy's youngest team. I was trying to mm-hmm. think of other teams Roy's had. Maybe 2006 might be close to it, like the freshman year with like Tyler Hansborough. Right after that uh, championship, yeah. Right, right after that. Or maybe 2010 after the 2009 championship that had like uh, John Henson as a freshman and whatnot. But even those teams, I was looking back at their rosters, this Carolina team, six of the ten guys in the main rotation are freshmen. Um, and it feels like you're, when you watch Carolina – I don't catch the same sense of them being in trouble as I do, like if I watch Duke. Um, and we'll get to Duke in just a bit. But with Carolina, it almost feels like they just haven't had enough reps. Like they haven't played enough. Uh, it, it's like watching 14 guys that make a, a a team at the Y on a Saturday afternoon when you're like running back and forth. And, and it's like they don't really know each other. They're individually, they're good, but they don't know each other. So they're still trying to figure it out. So you get a lot of things like 17 turnovers in a game, and uh, it just seems disjointed. But I'm not as worried about Carolina as I am about Duke. What, what, what are your thoughts on Carolina from what we've seen so far this season? 
For sure. Um, a step up from last year, I, I definitely think this is one of the younger teams, um, which is a good thing, too, because I think a lot of these guys will come back. A lot of these guys came in with um, highly touted resumes. Um, you know, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Walker Kessler, Dayron Sharp, um, all McDonald's All-Americans. Caleb Love has struggled some. Um, I think he'll continue to get better. The point guard position at Carolina, that that is the position. You know, every year that Roy has had a great team, there's been a great point guard at the helm. And that's right. like, that's the toughest spot to play in college basketball, man, as a freshman, as an 18-year-old kid. You know, these guys aren't getting the same amount of reps in practice and training camp coming in. Everything's delayed by COVID. So everything is just different. Roy's getting his – hands on these guys a little later, you know, the staff's coming in. Um, but overall, man, I've been really impressed with Dayron Sharp. I think he's the only one that will definitely not be in Chapel Hill next year, so go ahead and book that. Yeah. Um, he'll be a lottery <laughs> pick, I'm sure. He's, he's, he needs he needs to work a little bit on his defense, but yeah, offensive wise, he's oh, polished. Man. And his body, I mean, he's like what, six uh six foot ten, like two seventy five or something. Mm-hmm. He's NBA ready right now. Big body, just um and you're not gonna find ten rebounders better than him. Ten guys better than him on the glass right now as a freshman. He doesn't look like a freshman. Very skilled, very agile, man. Gets up and down the court. Already been um, named uh, freshman of the week in the ACC a couple times. And he's as good as advertised, man. Like, he's not doing anything different that he hasn't been doing. Um, Carolina kid, born and raised. um, You know, went to Monteverde last year. And he's brought the energy. He's just really, really been good, man. And I think people were expecting the front court to be – you know, a string. I think he's outplayed Armando Bacot, which has surprised a lot of people. Yeah, and, and honestly, and the, he may be UNC's best player to this point. To be I right. think he is, and he started the, those two games, um, which I thought was uh, unique because Roy benched Garrison Brooks, who was the preseason right. ACC Player of the Year, right. which I always thought was a little inflated because Garrison's numbers last year were, were definitely inflated because you know no Cole Anthony, that team was right. ravaged by injuries. Uh, they, I mean, Andrew Playtech was starting games midway through the season because they just were running out of bodies. So that right. just kind of shows you that that Carolina team was just different. So Garrison was having to score a lot. Now he's got, you know, Dayron Sharp, Walker Kessler, Amando Baycott's a sophomore. He doesn't have to score as much, so I never thought he was going to make it to the finish line as the ACC Player of the Year. Um, having said that, I did not expect Roy to bench him, but I'm kind of glad he did because I do like starting Brooks and uh, – not Brooks, excuse me. I, I do like starting Baycott and um, Sharp together. Um, another thing I've noticed Roy started doing at the Notre Dame game was he was starting R.J. Davis and Caleb Love together in the yeah. backcourt, two freshmen, yeah. and he started not doing that. Uh, he starts one or the other, and uh, actually Kerwin Walton has been starting some games the past couple of uh, games, and he's a percent three-point shooter. Yeah. yeah, I think he is. Uh, out of all the six guys that came in, five of them were ranked in the top 100, the ESPN top 100. Uh, and then there was Kerwin Walton, who came in. I think he was like a three-star. Um, he was known as a shooter. Uh, but everyone on the team, I remember early in the year, were saying Kerwin Walton's hitting a bunch of huge shots in practice. And Roy told him, if you can work on your defense, I'll find minutes for you. He's done that. And he's actually been, to me, the biggest surprise for Carolina so far this year uh, is Kerwin Walton. But you mentioned Dayron Sharp. I'm pretty sure he's going to be gone, one and done. Um and I looked at the losses that Carolina's had. This is why I'm not as worried about them. Uh, yes, they are, uh, what is it, six and four now, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll be playing uh, again this weekend. But th- they they lost to Iowa, 
who's a top five team at on a true road game at Iowa in December. They lose to Texas in the Maui Invitational. Texas is one of the best teams in the country right now. They're right, well, like number three, oh, I think. Oh, man, they've won some big games. And and to be honest with you, man, for some reason, Texas always gives Carolina problems. They do, man. yeah. No matter who's on the roster, it seems like Carolina's uh, Achilles heel is Texas whenever they run across them. Um, but Texas is ranked in the top five right now. Uh, they lost to NC State. NC State, and we're going to talk about them next. I think they can win the ACC this year, and we'll go we'll go into reasons why for that. And then they lost to Georgia Tech on the road on an early Saturday game. Um, but this is the kind of season where it feels like a, uh, any team in the ACC can lose to any other team. Like, do you think that there's a uh, a team in the ACC this year that's just like head and shoulders above everyone else? I won't say that there's a team head and shoulders above everybody else, but I will say, and they're not ranked number one in the ACC right now, but I will say the team that I trust the most currently is Clemson. And I know mm. they're not a North Carolina team and they weren't brought up, but um, they have a lot of North Carolina talent. And one guy, John Noon, out of Greensboro Day School, a junior this year, oh, yeah. won a lot of games in North Carolina. You know, everybody that has followed – high school and college basketball knows about Johnny Newman. So seeing mm-hmm. him, Clyde Trapp, uh, PJ Hall, who played in South Carolina, South Carolina powerhouse Norman, seeing these guys really operate and that, that collection of young talent mixed with veterans, I think they have a perfect balance. Um, if we want to flip it back to North Carolina though, um, state, state looks really good, man. I think Shaquille Moore and Cam Hayes, two guys that I'm, like you said, me being on the high school track, I'm extremely familiar with. Been watching yeah. these guys for three years. You know what I'm saying? So I knew what it was when they came in. I knew that these were two dogs that was not backing down from anybody that have played against elite competition on this on the EYBL with CP3. And Keith said it best, man. Shaquille Moore is the most under recruited player guard in the class of 2020 that absolutely man yeah absolutely when i saw he's like six one when i saw him sky and dunk on carolina <laughs> last week when he went baseline i was like oh man that looks familiar and i was like well, right. you know what i called like three of shaquille's games last year for moravian prep so i mean it wasn't we knew because we we follow this stuff and that's why right. people come to tobacco radio uh, tobacco road sports radio to get this kind of insight because you can't really get it anyplace else right. in this format in right. the state um, you know, we've told people about the class coming into NC State, and I, I sit back and think, man, if this if Josh Hall hadn't decided Ooh, to go pro baby. and win, yeah, they'd man. be top. I think they'd be a top ten ranked team right now with maybe oh, one yeah. loss. Like I mean, they would be a problem. My guy <laughs> like, got his his first minutes last week with the OKC Thunder. Yeah, so shout out to Josh Hall, play, man. man. Josh Hall with this group, it, it would not be fair. It, now, it really would be scary. I think uh, NC State actually has enough to win the ACC this year. Um, people think Carolina might have one of the best front courts in the country, but I wouldn't sleep on uh, Manny Bates and DJ Funderburk at NC State when they're both yep. playing in the front court. We've saw Manny Bates, another one of these kids yep. that we've seen the past yep. couple of years out of Josh uh, this Level area. Classic alum. Yep, Josh Level Classic alumni. So I mean. Uh, NC State's got enough. They're they're long. They play defense. They've got enough people that can shoot. Uh, they've got post players. They literally are built the way you want them built. And then this right. COVID-induced uh, college basketball season, the teams that have experience on them, Gonzaga, Iowa, right. Wisconsin, Michigan, like those are the teams that are going to be sitting around in March at the very end. Like I don't think anybody's going to touch Gonzaga. They might go undefeated, to be honest. Like they're in conference play now, and they're going to burn through their conference. And then – oh yeah. 
they were already better than everybody before conference started. Like they were beating the brakes off of teams that were like top five teams that they were seeing. Um, so I, I think it's Gonzaga's to lose, but I think NC State should be up there. Real quick, got Brandon Blakeney on with me. Follow him on Twitter at Brandon Lee TV. Wanted to touch on Duke. They squeaked by Boston College this week. They <laughs> they had uh they only played three games since December the sixteenth. Right. Uh, due to COVID situations with each team they were supposed to play. Coach K is in quarantine right now, uh, along with his wife. So he wasn't coaching uh, that Boston College game on uh, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, any concerns about Duke? Jalen Johnson still out indefinitely with a foot injury. Uh, they, they seem a bit underwhelming to me, but you could make the same case for Duke as it just did for Carolina in terms of who they've lost to. I mean, they lost to Michigan State. Um who else did they lose to? I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I can't even remember who it was now, but it was like back-to-back in Cameron. I think people were more concerned about Duke because they lost those at Cameron Indoor. Are you concerned about Duke at all? Right. I think there's definitely some concern, um, especially too, man. Like, they, they've been going through a lot. You saw earlier uh, the girls' program canceled their season completely. Yeah. Um, Coach K came out and canceled the uh, the non-conference. They lost those two non-conference games in Cameron. Um I think that they have talent, and this team, I think, will return most of their guys. But they, I think Duke fans were so spoiled with the Zion show and the R.J. Barrett show that, like, they're expecting now that every freshman class is going to be like that. And this is not that star-studded class. I like Jalen Johnson. I think he's a pro. Um but they got they got a lot of work to do, man. A lot a lot of deficiencies in this group. They're not making shots. The defensive intensity isn't there. I think Goldwire has been pretty good, but they need that Tyler Thornton, that momentum changer. The guy's going to come in and hit a three and take a charge. And also, man, th- them without the Cameron Crazies is, is a sad sight to see. It is them, Kentucky, and Kansas. I think suffered the most with not having fans. Not having fans in Fog Allen. Uh, not having fans in Rupp Arena, and then Duke not having fans at Cameron Indoor. It's just sad. It's sad to see them try to play in Cameron Indoor, and it's like all you hear is the basketball bouncing. It's like you're so used to that environment that I think it throws the Duke players off, especially the young ones, because a lot of them have said they went to Duke because they wanted to play at Cameron. You know, I remember Zion Zion specifically saying that, that one of the reasons why he chose Duke is because he wanted the experience of playing at Cameron Indoor. And uh, I think me and Rod were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago on the rundown where I, I told him, you know, I think this is going to affect recruiting over the next two years where kids might decide not to go to Duke next year because there might not be a crowd. You know, kids might not go to Kentucky because there's no one in Rupp. You know, that I think they might shift where they might decide to go based on that, which is wild, but uh, it is what it is. So we'll we'll see what happens with Duke State and uh, and UNC, and we'll keep up with them each week here on the rundown. I gotta let Brandon go once again. Follow Brandon on uh, Twitter at Brandon Lee TV, and make sure you listen to live with Brandon Blakeney every Friday at three p.m. and then it repeats again at seven p.m. Two times. All right, Harold Tobacco <laughs> Road towards Radio. We got. I gotta uh, take a quick break. When we come back, a little bit more from the rundown. Next. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. Shout out to Rundown regular Brandon Blakeney, who I was able to track down 
Sean uh, that came in and you know did a little something for us for today. Coming up, we do have Skylar Callahan from Sports Illustrated, the Panthers beat writer. He'll uh, help me with the kind of a closeout of the Panthers end of the year, um, and then also the fabulous writer from the Greensboro News and Record and the Winston Salem Journal, Joe Serrera, will be stopping by to give us a little bit of a high school basketball preview here in the Triad. Right now, I got my main man, Hot Rod Funderburg, on the line with us right now. And uh, Rod, what's going on, man? There's been a lot of stuff going on in the sports world since we uh, took our holiday break. Diz, it has been, man. Everything is beautiful. It's lovely. This is kind of a bittersweet uh, into sports because, you know, you've got the end of college football. you got the national championship coming up, which is sweet, but it's bitter because everything's going to be over with. You got regular NFL season ending, but it's going into playoffs again. It's bitter because the NFL season is ending. And of course, it's great because the NFL playoffs are beginning. So it's just that time of the year, man. But everything's lovely. I'm glad you mentioned those things because I kind of wanted to do a bit of a cornucopia of uh, questions with you uh, for our segment today. Uh, and we are sponsored by Blue Naples Pizza in Kernersville. Go check out uh, my man G. Uh, it's my spot for cheesesteaks, uh, strombolis. They got the best wings in Kernersville. Hell, the triad. Definitely go over there. Tell them Tobacco Road Sports Radio sent you. Uh, they're over off of Union Cross Road uh, right at the I-40 uh intersection right behind Burger King in the Food Line Shopping Center. So definitely go check them out. Uh, you mentioned the college football playoff. I didn't see Alabama-Notre Dame because I assumed that Alabama was going to beat the brakes off Notre Dame, and that apparently is what's happened. Uh, <laughs> I, I did watch Clemson-Ohio State, and I wanted to bring this up because, as people know, we talk about the Panthers a lot here on the rundown. The Panthers ended up with the eighth overall pick in the 2021 draft. I was against them drafting Justin Fields from Ohio State Cause I'll, and maybe you can answer this for me. Who was the last Ohio State quarterback that came out into the league and actually was good in the NFL? Because I'm sitting there racking my brain trying to remember Ohio State quarterback that was good coming out, and I can't think of any. Can you well, think I mean, of any? I, right now I can't think of any. You said one that was good. We know that yeah. Haskins just got let go from the Washington after, football team. Yeah, after a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even get through his rookie deal, and they cut him. Yeah. Rivera said, I've had enough of this nonsense. Yeah, which but. is a serious problem. Then there was Shotgun Jones. I don't know if oh, you remember oh, him. Oh, Cardell Jones. Yeah, Cardell, I don't know how long Cardell he lasted. Shotgun really. Jones. Dang. He didn't last the full season, I don't believe. Or at least he didn't last his whole rookie contract. Uh-uh. Um, didn't Geno Smith go to Ohio State? Uh, no, I think he was at West Virginia, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, I was just sitting there like, okay, with all the, the quarterbacks they've had and all these top teams, especially over the past decade, I couldn't think of one that that was like good. Not not like all pro, not like superstar, but just adequate, you know, starting quarterback level. So because of that, I'm thinking, well, Justin Fields is coming from Ohio State. I ain't falling for the okey-doke. I don't want Justin Fields as quarterback. Then I watched that game, and I don't know if you got a chance to watch that Clemson-Ohio State game, and there was a lot of things that went on in that game, but the main takeaway for me was when he got hurt on that targeting call from James Skalski from Clemson, uh, which is a whole other conversation that maybe we can touch on that a little bit too, and then I'm thinking, oh, that's Drew Brees all over again, punctured lung, he's got to have some crushed ribs or something. Uh, There's no way he's going to play this game. Goes into the tent, gets a couple shots, comes back out, and basically, they start to beat the brakes off of Clemson. Like, I mean, Clemson looked like they did not belong there after that point. And um, it changed my mind on Justin Fields. I've never seen a player that's changed my opinion of him in one game. But just seeing him gut through it. And he wasn't dinking and dunking. He was throwing the ball 40 yards down the field after that injury and, and grimacing every every time. 
I kind of want the Panthers to figure out a way to get Justin Fields. Am I crazy? Well, I think as a Carolina Panthers fan, number one, you're not crazy. But let me even back up to that. You're exactly right. He gutted the Clemson Tigers like a fish. And you know Mm -hmm. what? They deserved it. Because anytime you take a head coach like Dabo Sweeney, who will come out and say to a program like Ohio State, because you haven't played X amount of games, you don't deserve to be in the top 10. But in the same breath, you also say, but you're good enough to beat us. To me, that's mm. a little hypocritical. Yeah. And with that happening, I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? So, you know what? I'm, I'm glad they came out. And they gutted them because Clemson deserved every bit of that gutting that they received. That's number one. So good job, Ohio State. <laughs> it, it wasn't even close. Like it literally, when that targeting penalty happened, it was 21 to 14. Ohio State had the ball. From that point on, once uh, Skalski got ejected, which was sad because he got ejected last year in the semifinal against Ohio State mm-hmm. for targeting. So it was the same thing two years in a row. He didn't finish that game. And uh, man, Justin Fields just was all over the place. He was you know, still running the ball a little bit, but I was so impressed with him in the pocket. Like he was just dissecting Clemson's defense down. And there was a lot of times too, I think Clemson helped. Cause there was a lot of times where Clemson's defense looked like they didn't know where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like before the snap, they, they were running around scrambling. Like they didn't, they looked lost. And I, uh, it came out that I think uh, Ohio state thinks that Clemson's uh, defensive coordinator still signs. So I don't know if you noticed during that, that game, Ohio State would come out of the huddle real fast, like up to the ball, and then they would just hike it. Like there was mm-hmm. no long count, no looking to the sideline for a signal or anything. They literally got the call in the huddle. Uh, they they wouldn't even be that far away from the ball. They'd be like two steps away from the ball. They'd break out, and as soon as they got set, it's like one, two, boom, and the ball was already hiked, and Clemson didn't know what to do. Like they never adjusted from it. Um, now, having said that, Alabama is a different beast than Clemson is this year. Alabama mm-hmm. is a, a damn machine. Um are, are you do you think Ohio State can even win <laughs> this game? Because I, I said Clemson was going to cakewalk and I got uh, destroyed on social media for it. But I feel a little different about saying that about Alabama. Well, I think Ohio State can win, but they're going to have to dig deep, 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 deep in order to win that ball game. And with that being said, I believe Alabama will uh, win the national championship. It's like you said, man, they are a machine. It's been Clemson, Alabama the last few years, of course, except for last year with LSU winning. Um, yeah. But I think Ohio State gave every inch, every muscle fiber that they had just for the comments that Dabo Sweeney made. And sometimes as well as losing the game last year uh, against Clemson. So, you know, that has a lot of motivation for you when a coach of the opposite team tells you that, you know, you shouldn't even be in the class with them. You know, whenever somebody tells you that I'm ranked number uh, two or ranked number three and then you shouldn't even be ranked in the top ten, what you're saying is you're not in my class. You need to get out of here. So that was a lot of motivation for Ohio State. And I think Ohio State dug and they got every ounce that they could out of themselves. And I'm going to be honest with you, the experience that Alabama has in the national championship, Mm. the experience that they have of playing the top teams in the SEC. I just don't think Ohio State is going to have enough to get it done. I do think the game will be competitive. I do think like players like Justin Fields will be able to perform and they will be able to showcase their talent so that he'll be able to go high in the draft if that's what he decides to do. 
But at the end of the game, I think that uh, Alabama will come out victorious. I mean, they already have the Heisman Trophy winner in Smith, who was spectacular this year. And it's been, what, over a, a couple decades since a wide receiver has uh, won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Desmond uh, Howard, Desmond Howard, 1991. Yeah, Heisman, yeah, yeah. So you're talking three decades since the last Heisman Trophy winner was a wide receiver. And then you're talking about the top three out of the top five Heisman votes came out of Alabama. Oh, my yep. goodness. That's talent to be reckoned with, man. Oof. And I know it's a team game. Don't get me wrong. It's a team game. But I tell you what, when you have one-on-one matchups, I'd rather have three of the top Heisman voters on my team <laughs> than the other team. That's all I can say. Yeah, I don't think that uh, – I know uh, I forgot the running back's name for uh, Ohio State that's been going nuts the past couple of weeks. Uh, he had 200 yards against Clemson. He is not going to run for 200 yards against Alabama. Like, I, that's just not going to happen. Uh, and this Alabama team in particular, I've been kind of saying it all year that it felt like they're kind of under the radar, as weird as that would be, describing an Alabama team. But they're, you know, they're 12-0. and 0, They can go 13-0. and 0. They had a basically uh, an 11-game – uh, or 10-game SEC schedule, and I think they played one game out of conference or something like that. No, 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 no. They had 10 games SEC, then they had the SEC championship game, and then they had the semifinal game. So uh, this would be the 13th game. Their average margin of victory this year is 29.2 points per game. And, it I mean, it doesn't matter home or away. Away, it's 25 points. Home, it's 35 points. They've won their last three by 24. Uh, they've just gone through everyone they've been in front of, and that includes, you know, some – some pretty good teams. The fifth ranked Texas A&M uh, team was one of those teams that they beat down. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to pick Ohio State for this game, but I'll definitely watch it to see if Justin Fields can duplicate what he did before. Um, got Rod Funderburk on the line with me here. Um, talking a little football. And one of the things that I did want to do and start doing is a new segment called What If, where basically we kind of look at a situation uh, that happened uh, but it could have went another way, and we kind of look at it in terms of what would have happened if this had happened instead. And to kick off this inaugural one with me and Rod, I was thinking back to 2018. Uh, we were on another format at that point on Saturday mornings, and uh, the Panthers were in the 2018 draft. They had a kind of a uh, – it wasn't a lottery – well, they don't have lottery in the NFL. They didn't have a top 10 pick or anything because they had made the uh, playoffs the year before in 2017. But – uh, they ended up drafting wide receiver DJ Moore, which wasn't a bad pick by any means at all. And DJ Moore, you know, thousand yard receiver, uh, has turned into a great player. But I remember at the time wanting a guy from Louisville by the name of Lamar Jackson, uh, who who there was a, we had this conversation on the rundown. I remember because teams were wanting to change his position uh, from from quarterback to something else, like uh, like cornerback uh, or wide receiver and we were all like no like you know let this dude be what he is he won the Heisman Trophy as a quarterback someone should draft him as a quarterback and the Ravens ended up drafting him but he lasted till the the very end of the first round um that draft if you if you remember I'm trying to the 2018 draft uh I want to make sure I'm in the right year uh Baker Mayfield went number one uh in that draft, Saquon Barkley was in there. He went number two. Sam Darnold went three. Uh, you had Bradley Chubb from NC State. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the rest of uh, that draft here. I'm sorry. It's not pulling up. It's trying to pull up the entire draft. That's not what I wanted. But uh, I'm trying to see where we got DJ Moore because we picked him up in the 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
And then uh, right after that, at the very end, the Ravens swooped in and got Lamar at the end of the first round. So the what if is, what if the Carolina Panthers had drafted Lamar Jackson in 2018 instead of DJ Moore? What are the things that would be different today? Um, I'll start off. The biggest thing, I think Ron Rivera would still be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Um, Looking back on it, if they had drafted Lamar, then he probably would have sat a year behind Cam Newton. And then they could have just let Cam go the same year like they did. Uh, Or Lamar would have got thrown into action because Cam got hurt uh, in 2019 early. So instead of it being Kyle Allen and uh, and those guys, it would have been Lamar Jackson out there with Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel and, you know, and all of that. Uh, so the first thing my mind turns to is I think Ron Rivera would still be here if they drafted Lamar Jackson instead of DJ Moore. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I definitely think Ron Rivera would still be the coach because once Cam Newton got hurt, number one, he could never get healthy again. And it was all yeah. down here. Hill, and you're talking about a head coach trying to piecemeal quarterbacks and offenses together, and of course that doesn't happen. Uh, but with a player like Lamar Jackson, you can just plug him in. You work with him a little bit, and then he just comes right along, and he can take over from where Cam Newton would have dropped off. And I think you know uh, he's a, he's now the quarterback, and like you said, Ron Rivera is there, and of course. Cam Newton would not be there any longer, which would have been due to injury. And we could possibly see Cam Newton, you know, leaving the league period right now. Yeah. Now, I think there would they would have had to work a little bit more with Lamar Jackson. And the only reason that I say that is I do evaluate Lamar Jackson's game. He's a smart kid. He can get out of bounds when he's running. But one of the things that I've noticed in his passing game, he doesn't throw the out route very well. And he also doesn't throw the fade route very well. But what he is good at is throwing seam routes. And he normally throws a seam route to the tight end. So that also means that our former tight end, who is now with the Seattle Seahawks, Greg Olson, could also potentially still continue to be with the Carolina Panthers because Olson would have turned in to Lamar Jackson's number one target running those seam routes down the middle of the field. Yeah, I could see that easily. Um, he probably would have remained here. Um, and honestly, I'm just trying to think. So 2018, Cam still had uh, two years left on his deal. The last year wasn't guaranteed. Um, so he would have been the starter going into 20 the 2018 season, as he was. Um, and then... If I'm not mistaken, 2018 was kind of the year where it all fell apart. Then they they started six and two. Uh, Cam's shoulder kind of gave out on him. He got hurt in that Steelers game. They got blown out in, and mm-hmm. then they pretty much lost out the rest of the year. Finished like eight and eight or something like that, or six and ten, whatever it was. And then Rivera was not retained after that. Uh, and then that brought in uh, head coach Matt Rule. Actually, no, I take that back. Uh, uh, Rivera was here for one more year in 2019. Uh, and that was when Cam got hurt week two, mm-hmm. or really in the preseason uh, against New England, hurt his foot, never got right, uh, played two games and clearly didn't look right, missed the next 14. That's when we saw Kyle Allen and all these other guys. So really it would have been Lamar had been here for a year, 2018, underneath Cam, probably got some snaps late in that season when he went down, maybe some sort of quarterback competition in 2019 uh, when Cam returned. But then Cam was going to be right back out again anyway. And by that point, they basically would have been turning the team over to Lamar Jackson. Um, 
But I just salivate at it because I don't think Lamar would have an MVP uh, at this point. Not yet. Uh, he wouldn't have had the opportunities he, he was given in Baltimore uh, if he was in Carolina. But can you imagine a backfield with Lamar Jackson and Christian McCaffrey in it running read option? Like, oh, my goodness. What, I don't even know how to defend that. <laughs> like, what are you yeah. supposed to do? You I mean, have, like 13 men on the field. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the backfield like that, we could go as far as to say as David Tepper may not even would have been able to buy the team. <laughs> right. <laughs> it went up the value. Oh my gosh. And, th- and then, like, I mean, I'm trying to think what else would be different. So the Ravens wouldn't have Lamar Jackson, so they might still be looking for a quarterback. Well, the Carolina Planters would be in the playoffs, would have been in the playoffs probably 2019 as well as maybe this year. Yeah, as well. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think especially this year. I think by this year. Now, there's no telling if there would be, you know, uh, Matt Rule here by now or anything like that. We can say that it's a possibility because David Tepper didn't hire Ron Rivera, wasn't his guy. Neither was uh, Marty Herney, and now both are gone from the organization. But I think it would have bought Marty Herney a little more time, too. Um, if you find the next quarterback that's going to be there with you for eight, nine years, uh, that can, you know, give you some job security for a little bit there. And I think after they lost Cam, both Rivera and Herney kind of lost that job security to a certain extent. And that's why they're both gone now. But I think Carolina would be a contender right now. And I think they're on the right direction. I, you know, I, I like how the defense played at the end of the year. Uh, Curtis Samuel balled out like it was a contract year, which it was. Um, and I think they're trending in the right direction. But I just think they'd be a year or two ahead of schedule if they had drafted Lamar back in 2018 uh, instead of uh, DJ Moore. Still got love for you, DJ Moore. Uh, <laughs> you know, glad you're here. Um, if you got, if you guys have a what if that you want us to discuss on the rundown, just go to Tobacco Radio on Twitter uh, and just let us know what your what if question is, and maybe it'll make the show. Um, Rod, I appreciate you being on with me, my man. Uh, I know you've been busy. I got to let you go, and uh, I'm hard up here against the break. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you as always. No doubt. All right. When we come back, more from the rundown. You are listening to the rundown on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to the rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. With me now, uh, I have the pleasure of bringing on a good friend of mine, sports writer for the Greensboro News and Record and the Winston-Salem Journal, Joe Serrera. What's going on, Joe? How are you doing, man? Doing all right. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting season. So let's let's just dive right into it. So we've been doing high school basketball week here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of questions from parents and faculty and whatnot about what's going on. First off, what are your thoughts on this mask mandate for players on the court this season? And games have already started uh, this uh, this week. Um, as a matter of fact, we had Mount Tabor versus Winston-Salem Prep on uh, the station on Thursday night. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, is this something that you think can be sustainable? Because I've never once thought about playing basketball with a mask on. Uh, it seems like some teams are pretty much adapting to it, but what are you getting from the feeling from coaches and players as you talk to them, knowing they have to go out on the court with a mask on? I don't think anybody likes it, but I think they prefer it to the alternative, which at this point would be not playing basketball. I mean, that, that's what people come back, keep coming back to saying to me, coaches and players, when I ask them about it, it's like, it's not great. I don't like it, but if it gets us on the court, this is what we're going to do. The one thing I have seen is that, um, 
players a few times through contact, through diving on the floor, lose the mask. They, they pick it up as soon as there's a stoppage when they can. And a lot of masks I've seen have been down where they're not covering somebody's nose, but it's hard to keep them up there unless you're going to tape it. It's, it's difficult. Even the sports masks. Yeah, I thought I would think they would have maybe came up with some kind of specialty mask or something with like vents or something they could play with. But I'm seeing kids wearing these regular, you know, blue and expensive like nurse mask. And uh, I don't think it's affecting the play. I'll, I'll see here as we go and we get deeper into the season. Follow Joe uh, at Joe Serrera Sports on Twitter uh, for the latest updates and news from across the state uh, in the world of sports. Do you think, uh, deep down, do you think a full high school basketball season can be played in North Carolina this year? I don't, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be because of uh, teams missing time because of COVID. That's already happening. The Bishop McGinnis boys and girls teams are not playing right now. They had to postpone their first four games. They have not said why, but a two-week gap in the schedule kind of lines up with quarantine. Uh, Grimsley boys basketball team is in the same situation. They were supposed to be participating in, uh, in inaugural event this year in Greensboro, the big four tip off showcase with page Dudley and Smith and the Grimsley boys are not participating in that. The other factor I think ultimately is also going to be weather. Like we're looking at Friday, no games Mm -hmm. this weekend, Saturday, no games this weekend that happens in a normal season, but the window for getting those makeup games back in is going to be even tighter this year. And that's why I don't think everyone is going to get in, at least in terms of the NCHSAA schools, the 14 regular season games that they're allowed to play. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that myself. And actually that Mount Tabor Winston-Salem prep game, we had it scheduled for tonight at uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, they moved the game to Thursday at 6 p.m. because of the weather that's coming in today. Um, right. So, yeah, so you got that kind of going on, too. And I, I wasn't really sure if they had kind of built in, looking at the schedules of these uh, these teams, if they really built in, like, of course, you're not going to have, like, a bye week in basketball, but it doesn't really seem like there's any wiggle room to to get uh, extra games in unless you're playing back-to-backs, unless you're playing on a Saturday or something along those lines. And maybe they get creative and do that as uh, we go through, but... Uh, the caseload, I mean, the case count's higher now than it was when they had to stop uh, the, the state playoffs, you know, back in March. So uh, I'm curious as to how far they might be able to go. I know that you're well-versed in uh, triad high school teams uh, over the years, covering them for the Greensboro News and Records specifically, Joe. Can you give me like three teams to watch for in the triad? I know specifically you're more towards the Guilford side. Uh, in the Greensboro High Point area, but who are three high school teams that are out there that you kind of got your eye on uh, to watch uh, this upcoming season? Well, I think a trend that, that's happened, and I'll, I'll kind of preface it with this over the over the last ten years or so, is the shift of kids from public schools toward private schools and charter schools. And I think that's continued. I mean, and some of it is, is migration of coaches too. Uh, uh, in Forsyth County, for example, the Glenn girls coach, Melvin Heggie, who's had a lot of success with the Bobcats. He went to quality education Academy and some players who had played travel ball for him, uh, including Raven Preston, who was on uh, back-to-back state championship teams at Southeast Guilford. They've gone with him to quality education Academy. Meanwhile, you've got Andre Gould and anybody who's followed high school basketball in North Carolina the last 10 or 15 years, especially in Forsyth County, mm-hmm. knows the success that he had at Winston-Salem Prep. 
great teams, great players. He's moved to Quality Education Academy. And a number of returning players from that team at Winston-Salem Prep are at Quality Education Academy with him now, as well as Amari Bolden, who played at Parkland. And Parkland also lost Kamian Shell. He's transferred out. I think the trend has been toward uh, private schools and charter schools getting a lot of kids because they can reclassify at a lot of them. And because this year, I think there was so much uncertainty about the public school season, the private schools were moving ahead. And I think kids preemptively and their families decided we're going to go with what we think is a sure thing and go to one of the private schools. Getting back to your original question, um, Reynolds in uh, on the boys' side in Forsyth County uh, showed some good things uh, against Mount Tabor on Tuesday night. That was the game I, I attended and wrote about. And you can find the recap of that on uh, uh, journalnow.com. It was a 54-51 win for Reynolds, which has, has some guys back, uh, Tyree Leach and Caden Davis. Uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch with those two guys. But Mount Tabor, which lost most of last year's team, other than Daniel Fulp, gave them all they could handle. Uh, it was a little bit ragged. Um, both teams get after it defensively, really get out in the passing lanes, uh, disruptive, oh, uh, trapping, doing a lot of things. And in the first half, it was ragged. There, there were a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of miscues. Shooting wasn't good. I kind of expected them to pick it up in the second half, and they did. But th those are definitely two teams to watch for on uh, the Forsyth County side. Uh, North Davidson is another team that's pretty strong. Jamarian Dalton is the guy to watch for them. Uh, he's a very, very good football player, wide receiver, signed with Elon. Uh, he's also a very good basketball player, high-scoring guy, uh, was a teammate of Themis Folks a couple of years ago, and it's kind of picked up for him. That's a team to watch on that side. Over in Guilford County, you want to watch some enter an entertaining player, check out Eastern Guilford. Uh, Caden Dawkins, five foot eight, five foot nine, a senior combo guard for them. He's headed to Mars Hill, uh, Division II school next year. He is fun to watch. He can take you off the dribble. He can score from the outside. He can he can set people up. He's just a lot of fun to watch, and he's not a solo act. Kamel Smith, another two-sport guy, football player, who's going to Miami of Ohio to play quarterback, is a forward on that team. Uh, that's a team to watch. Northern Guilford was very young last year, got better and better as the season went on. Uh, the guy to watch there is uh, Nolan Hodge, uh, a junior guard, 6'5", 6'6". He's already getting Division One recruiting interest. His dad, Kellen, is one of the assistants at Northern Guilford. And they've got some other fun players back on that team. Uh, Page in Guilford County. Uh, Evan Fancourt took over there uh, last year, first season, uh, coming from Southern Guilford where he had a lot of success. They've got a, a kid there, Jaden Ellis. Uh, give me a one-on-one -on -one between Jaden Ellis, who's a guard, and Caden Dawkins, and I'd watch that every day of the week. Those are mm. fun players to watch. And they've got a guy who looks like maybe a breakout player this year, 6'5", Josh Scovins. Uh, very wow. bouncy, athletic, can do a lot of things. Th those are just some teams on the guy's side. Um, girl's side, uh, Bishop McGinnis is a team that kind of crosses over. They got to a uh, 1A regional final last year and have a lot of key people back from that team. They're going to be good. Um, North Davidson on the girl's side has another player you want to watch, Emily Hagee. Uh, she can score. She She's capable of going off for 30 or more in any game. She had 36 in their opener. Uh, West Forsyth is a solid team. Brittany Cox won a state title there a few years ago. They've got 
Uh, Shakira Baskerville, who is signed with High Point, she's a player to watch. A lot of fun. Switching over to the Guilford side on the with the girls, Dudley. Dudley probably this year looks like on paper the best team in the triad. They already had a Division One signee, uh, Kinsey of Fulmore, a center who's going to Towson, coming back, and a senior guard of Marissa Wooten. They picked up Ragsdale's two best players who were returning, Diamond Monroe, who's headed to Elon, and Mariah Frazier, who's headed to Appalachian State. They both transferred in. If the chemistry is right with two players coming in, Monroe started out at Dudley, went to Ragsdale, and came back. If the chemistry fits there, that's a team that's going to be very, very good, could make a very deep run in the 3A playoffs. Uh, Northern Guilford, Northwest Guilford, Southeast Guilford, those teams on the Guilford side, on the girls' side, are good every year. All of them lost some talent. Uh, Raven Preston, I mentioned earlier, transferred over to Quality Education Academy. If she were back at Southeast Guilford, that would be a team that could make a run at another 3A state title but and, and would be a great matchup with Dudley to see them play. But losing her hurts. They do have still some talent back. But those are the teams I would I would say to watch for at least NCHSAA teams. One one of the uh, names you mentioned over on the guys side that I heard a lot of um, we uh, over at Sports Carolina Monthly we were actually live streaming uh, the Blue Chip Fall League uh, from Blue Chip Academy mm-hmm. and they had an East Keyshawn and West Bishop. division. Yeah, Keyshawn, shout out to Keyshawn and uh, he I was uh, streaming the Western division, so I was never out East, so I was never in Greensboro mm-hmm. to see any of those games. Um, a lot of talent out of uh, the West. Um, so I got a chance to see all that. But the name that kept popping up was Josh Scovens from Page. Yeah. Uh, Kashawn mentioned him a couple times. Brandon Blakeney mentioned him a few times in terms of him just kind of growing uh, into this potential monster of a player um, for Page. And then you mentioned him here, too. So uh, definitely want to possibly get Page on the schedule for one of our triad high school uh, basketball games of the week that we'll be doing every Friday night through the season, uh, spotlighting for Scythe and Guilford County teams mm-hmm. uh, and showcase games um, because of, you know, because of COVID, uh, attendance will be limited at these. Uh, last time I checked, the state's only allowing 25 people uh, outside of um, faculty, staff, and I think media aren't counted in that. Uh, so right. only 25 spectators can even be in these gyms. So the odds of you being able to get in there to actually watch some of these games are small. Um, so we're definitely trying to bring some of the better matchups across the triad to uh, to everyone um, while we can here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. On the line with me, Joe Serrera, sports writer from the Greensboro News and Record and Winston-Salem Journal. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Serrera Sports. Um, I know you've been following high school stuff here for a while, and if anybody knows me and you, they're they're familiar with us doing high school football a lot. Yep. Um, I wanted to ask you, who is the best basketball player that you have covered talent-wise in the triad during your writing career? If there's, is there one guy that you can point to and say, that guy's the best high school basketball player that I've covered uh, so far in my career uh, writing in the triad? Wow. Um Boy, uh, different players kind of showed me different things. Uh, Harry Giles, when he was healthy and was Mm -hmm. playing for Wesleyan, was was, uh, a really, really talented guy who could do a lot of different things. Uh, The conversation for me would probably start with him. I go back about seven years on the high school stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, he was he was very talented. And, and could do so many different things for a guy with his size, with, with his length. He's still in the NBA. The injuries were what really kind of took a toll on him. Um, he, he's probably it on the, on the boys' side. The girls' side, there are two, two, two ladies who grew up two miles apart 
and are probably two of the top five or top ten post players right now in the nation in college basketball that I, I had the pleasure of watching for four years are Elisa Kinane, who's at NC State, and they're ranked number two or three in the country right now and unbeaten, and they've already knocked off South Carolina. Yeah. And Liz Kitley, who played for Northwest Guilford and is at Virginia Tech. And to, to be blessed to have seen two young ladies that talented go against each other. Elisa's a year older, so they kind of went against each other for three years, but they're great friends off the court. They're fantastic players, great students. Uh, those two are going to, if they want to go in that direction, they're both going to be WNBA players when the time comes. And both of them are potentially U.S. Olympians. They are that level of talent. Uh, they were really fun to watch. The, the only bad thing about watching them was when they were playing their se- uh, Elisa's senior year in the HACO Invitational, which unfortunately we didn't have this year. Yeah. Uh, the officials for the, the championship game, decided to call it rather tight. They called three fouls on Elisa Kinane in the first minute and a half. And that was it. That was the game, basically. We were kind of denied the chance to see them play uh, against each other very much, and they were they were very touch-tight calls. But just, just fun players to watch. Both of them have only gotten better at the college level, and uh, you know both of them are potential All-Americans. Now, having asked that question, it sets up uh, my, my final question for you, Joe. Um, with all that talent that you've seen in those seven years covering high school uh, basketball here in the triad, who is the best team that you have seen or covered in the triad? I know there's been, man, there's uh, the triad has a lot of talent in the prep yeah. scene, especially it feels like the past decade. There's just been so many guys that have come through here that end up in the NBA or in the NFL or whatnot. Um, I know... Winston-Salem Prep has won like six state championships yeah. with Andre Gold. We talked about him earlier. He's now over at QEA. Uh, mm-hmm. Southwest Guilford has a, a strong men's basketball program over there. The Langley Twins that just left there and uh, are now at uh, UNCG. Um, you, you got Reynolds and Winston-Salem. Mount Tabor yep. has been one of the top programs in the in the mm-hmm. state in 3A for the past like decade or so. Uh, who Out of all these teams that you've covered, who would you put the pin on as being the – best or most dominant team in high school uh, that you have seen while you've been covering uh, sports in the triad that you mentioned Southwest Guilford, the, the 3A state championship team they had a couple of years ago, 2019 is the the best I've seen around here. Um, When I, when I worked at Roanoke, Virginia, a number of years back, uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the 87 or 88 season. I saw a team play up there. Patrick Henry high school, Roanoke, Virginia had George Lynch who played at Carolina and played in the NBA uh, a guy named Russell Turner, who was an assist, later an assistant coach at Wake Forest was a two-time division three player of the year at Hampton, Sydney. And he's now the coach at UC Irvine out in California has taken them to the NCAAs a couple times. Uh, they, they had a, a guy named Curtis Blair who played in the NBA uh, and played for Houston and a couple other teams, played for a Richmond team that knocked off Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. That's the best high school team I've ever seen. That team beat Oak Hill Academy oh, and wow. uh, DeMatha in the same season, and they were they were phenomenal. Around here, Southwest Guilford, two years ago, that 2019 team that had Keyshawn and Kobe Langley, uh, Jaden Turner, uh, Caleb Martin, who got hurt, uh, suffered a, a pretty severe head injury in the uh, semifinal where they beat Cox Mill and Wendell Moore Jr. Oh, yeah. uh, 
that team and the sad thing about that team is there's another young man who was killed in a car wreck, Des Woods, who would have been on that team. Mm. And they would have been even better with Des Woods. But that team, uh, I never saw anybody challenge them at all, really, that season. Cox Mill did up until about the point where Caleb Martin got hurt in that game. And then Jaden Turner took over. And, and just they ended up blowing out Cox Mill, which is a team that had won the previous two 3A titles. So that team... The thing that, that impressed me the most about them that made them so tough was they were great defensively. They would Their whole defense in the half court was geared toward getting you to push the ball far onto one side of the court and then cutting the court in half and daring you to throw a pass cross court that looked like it was there. And one of the guys on that team who had quickness and length would pick it off. And then it was just a question of whether they were going to pull up and hit a three or dunk on, dunk at the other end. And they had five guys in that starting lineup and would have had six with Dez who any one of them could go off on you for 20 or more on a given night. And there was no way defensively, if you were game planning for them, if you were scouting for them to say, okay, we're going to take this guy away. If you did, that was going to give somebody else a chance to go for more than 20. That, that team, and they were fun. They loved playing together. Uh, Guy Shavers, that was that was the last year he coached high school basketball. He stepped away after that. He's down in Florida in a, uh, kind of a different business right now. But that team was fun to watch. They loved each other. They loved playing together, and they put on a show. Always love having you on, for especially for insight with high school stuff. Definitely need to get you on more as a regular as we get into the meat of the 2020-21 high school athletic calendar, I guess, for uh, – for the state of North Carolina, a lot of it got pushed to the spring. So for January and February, we'll have uh, high school basketball. And then hopefully in March and April, we'll have high school football. So hopefully we'll be crowning some uh, state champions here when all of this is said and done in this weird, condensed, wacky COVID-19 induced uh season here in north carolina with prep sports uh yep. joe serrera on with me here um gotta let you go joe but uh once again appreciate having you on i will definitely Always be back pleasure. in touch with you soon yeah for sure i'm gonna bring once we get more into the meat of uh the basketball season i'll definitely bring you on and i know i'm gonna see you around uh the triad as we're uh, broadcasting these games as well sounds good Des. always appreciate it coming up more from the rundown you are listening to tobacco road sports radio tobacco road sports radio.com Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back to the rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. The Carolina Panthers ended their 2020 COVID season at 5 and 11 underneath uh, first year head coach Matt Rule. Joining me to talk about the Carolina Panthers. From Sports Illustrated, the Panthers beat writer, uh, Skylar Callahan. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it's crazy how quick the season went. It just seemed like we just started off against the Raiders, and here we are already into the offseason. So. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it did kind of just fly through this. Uh, and I do need to give uh, flowers to the NFL for basically motoring through something I thought they would not be able to do, uh, and that's finish the regular season with everything going on. Um, a lot of different Panther tidbits and news and stuff going on with it being the first official week of the offseason. Uh, the first thing I want to start off with with you, Skylar, is um, Sam Mills. Uh, former Panther linebacker Sam Mills is one of the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What do you think, what are the legit odds that Sam Mills actually makes the, uh, the final cut and gets into Canton? 
You know, that's that's tough because I, I honestly thought he was actually going to get into last year. Um, I thought the last year's class was really strong, and but I still thought he had a chance to get in. This year's class is strong again, too. I mean, you're looking up and down some of that li- up and down that list, and there's a bunch of guys that could easily get in, um, if not this year, the next year. Um, you know, and you also got to look at, um, you know, there's a couple of new first-time uh, ballot guys on there as well that that may get some strong recognition. Um, but, I, I mean, I think he fares pretty well. I think he, he put together a very, very strong career. And it's it's going to be if I, I'll say this, if he doesn't get in this year, I would be very, very surprised if he doesn't get in by by 2022. Yeah. And I, I mean, clearly, I think he deserves it. Um, the Panthers, of course, claim him. He really only played uh, a couple of like at the end of yeah, his career, last, two, three years. Right. Uh, yeah. Last two or three years, I believe. Um, but a lot of people know him from those uh, vaunted New Orleans Saints uh, linebacking cores, him and Pat Swilling, you know, wrecking havoc in the NFC West uh, back in the day. Um, and, you know, the phrase keep pounding, it comes from Sam Mills. He's ingrained into the Panthers uh, franchise and fan base. And uh, it'd be great for him to get in. If I'm not mistaken, it's not really there aren't any like homegrown Panthers that are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that I could think of. Of course, Kevin Green is in, and it's the same kind of logic with him. He was really only with us like two years uh, yeah. at the end of his career, but we you know, kind of claim him also. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think Julius Peppers will probably be the first guy up that's a homegrown Panther uh, that spent most of his career here that we could claim that more than likely is going to get in first ballot, I would imagine. Uh, I think top five, top six in sacks overall. Um so it, we'll we'll see, but I, I I wanted to get your opinion on Sam first because I wasn't sure uh, where it stood with him with him being on the Ross I mean on the uh, ballot last year. Let's move into actual uh, stuff going on with this year's Panther team. Um, starting off first with uh, Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey had a really rough year, um, bunch of different injuries. He only really played like two and a half games. How frustrating was it? You know, I know you're in these Zoom calls, uh, and this was a, a frustrating year for the media to be able to have to cover yeah. it in this manner. <laughs> How frustrating was it for you to sit on the Zoom calls with McCaffrey or listening to the coaches each week this year uh, with him missing pretty much the entire 2020 season with a variety of injuries, knowing the kind of player that Christian McCaffrey is? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. And, I, it, you know, really – if it, if it had been a an injury from the start of the season that, you know, just sidelined him immediately, I think that would have been a little bit different because you knew uh, the coaches would have known, the team would have uh, – the coaches would have knew, the team would have knew, the media would have knew. But with it being kind of like a weekly thing, I mean, he went there uh, on the IR for, I believe, the first, you know, six game or that, that six-game stretch uh, with his ankle. Then he comes back, looks like he's going to be okay, and then the shoulder pops up. So then that's another issue. And then the thigh pops up. So it was like a weekly thing. And, you know, from a media standpoint, it was kind of getting a little bit, you know, redundant that we continue to ask the same questions every day. Is Christian good? Is Christian good? And he write the same thing. I mean, at, literally at some point, it doesn't matter. I mean, I really felt like I was just copying and pasting the same quote every single day from Matt Rule. Because right, it, was, right. <laughs> it was, I don't know, we'll see Wednesday. And I don't know, we'll see Thursday. Friday, I, you know, we'll see when it gets to the game day. So, you know, I think it was it's definitely frustrating uh, from from every perspective. But you know, I think heading into next year, um, this is just going to be uh, this this offseason is going to be really critical for him because I think as soon as a running back starts having injury problems, the biggest flag that pops up is oh no, is he starting to to kind of come down 
And, and is he going to have this issue moving forward? I don't think that he is. I mean, when you look back at his career, he had only missed one game coming into this season in his entire football career, one right. game. He takes care of his body extremely well, and I just don't think that he's – I think he's kind of, you know, the rule to the exception. And I think he's going to bounce back strong next year. Is, is he going to have a, another 1,000-1,000 season? I don't know, but um, I think if he continues to, to work and get back str- uh, stronger um, and take care of his body, I think he's going to be fine. And I know this coaching staff's really looking forward to getting him back because they really don't have an idea of what they got in him. Um, I mean, they, they know from watching film, but they don't know how he can operate in their offense on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to see this offense, this Joe Brady offense, really clicking with all the pieces there at the same time. Uh, yeah. Really, week one against uh, Las Vegas was probably the only time we really saw all of it out there at one uh, time. And to be honest, that might have been the best that quarterback Teddy Bridgewater looked was that first quarter of the season, uh, weeks one through four. Uh, but then that kind of... Uh, that drifted off uh, fairly quickly after – really, it was after the second Tampa game when he got hurt. And then, and then from that point on, it's been almost like – I don't know. Something happened to Teddy. Uh, speaking of Teddy Bridgewater, uh, let's move on to him. Head coach Matt Rule and owner David Tepper did not mince words when it came to talking about Panthers quarterback Teddy Bridgewater um, leading up to the Saints game and after the fact. Rule basically said that Bridgewater needed to have a great offseason – how thin is the ice under Bridgewater right now? And could you see a scenario where the Panthers trade up from the eighth pick to pick a quarterback like Ohio State's Justin Fields or Fields dropping to them at eight, which we tend to see feels like every year in the draft, there's that one guy that doesn't go where everyone's expecting him to go and he falls a couple spots down. With, I don't catch the feeling that Carolina would be against drafting someone like Justin Fields with that, uh, that first round pick. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they would either, and I wouldn't blame them. I mean, I've always tried to reserve my judgment for Teddy um, until the season was done, because just to, to deal with everything that this this season has has you know everything that they've gone through this season, and it's no excuse for just him because it's every team, every quarterback. But there's a, a rookie head coach, a rookie offensive coordinator, a bunch of guys up front that have never really played much together on the offensive line. There's a bunch of injuries up there. There's injuries to Christian McCaffrey. He he did not have the full boat, like you said, except for maybe week one. And that was when they were trying to figure things out. So I didn't really want to jump on the, the Teddy isn't the guy bandwagon because, you know, of all those reasons. Plus, I know a lot of fans, they were just, you know, just, you know, disheartened with the Cam Newton um, situation and they, they kind of took it out on Teddy, which I I thought was kind of wrong, but I get it. Um, Cam Cam is a terrific player and will forever be um, remembered as one of the greatest all time Panthers. But at some point, you have to move on from that and just learn that this is now somebody else's time. And you know, the first five six games of the season, I thought Teddy did okay. I didn't think he did anything exceptionally well. I didn't think he was a guy that was really going to necessarily lose you a game. And then as the season went on, he became a different quarterback. I think he questioned himself at times. I think he felt the pressure. Uh, I mean, we're talking a guy, he's on a three-year deal, but really if you look at the contract, I don't have it right here in front of me, the numbers, but I I believe after that second year, they can do something to where they can kind of cut ties and not really lose a whole lot of money. So this is a good situation, I think, for Carolina to where, yeah, if you like a quarterback in this draft, go ahead and take him because – 
really when you look at the depth behind him, PJ Walker, and I know the fans were all over, you know, wanting to have PJ Walker as a starter. He's not a starting quarterback. Oh fans. yeah, <laughs> I, I love PJ. He's a great guy. He's easy guy to talk to. Uh, tremendous athlete, but he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. Will Greer, I, I personally, I never felt like he got a fair shake. He was thrown into an impossible situation last year. Never got a chance this year. We didn't get to really see him work in practice, so there's no idea as to telling where he's at in his development. So I'm just going based off what we've seen. We haven't seen Will Greer active since week five. To me, that tells me he's either regressed or PJ's just slightly better. And if PJ's slightly better, that quarterback room needs to be upgraded. So, yeah, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, I mean, who Trey Lance, any of those guys in the draft, if you like them, I think the Panthers need to take them because you have a situation where Teddy Bridgewater is still going to be here for at least two more years, maybe one. You can have him mentor the younger guy, get him ready. And if you feel like Teddy is the guy, then then you can either use him as trade bait later on um, or maybe just, you know, let him, you know, be the guy for the next three, four years and while that younger guy kind of comes along. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. Um, it, it feels like Teddy came out on fire, and we and me yeah. and Tyrone Poole, we do the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, and I believe you've been on uh, that podcast with us as well. Uh, in the beginning of the year, I think we were all blinded by Teddy's completion percentage, and I've talked about this a lot. Where uh, really for about fifteen years, the Panthers dealt with quarterbacks that were you know, 55, 58% completion throwers. You know, you had Cam Newton for seven or eight years. And then before that, you had Jake DeLome for about the same amount of time. And neither one of those guys were really 60% completion quarterbacks. So it, for both of them, it was kind of a, when the ball's in the air, unless Steve Smith is the one jumping up to go get it, it was almost like a 50-50 toss-up what was going to happen <laughs> when yeah. when they threw the ball, unless they were, they were both very streaky. So if they were hot, you kind of expected them to go six for six, seven, seven. They'd go down the field, and both of them kind of had that quality. Uh, when Teddy got here, I think we were blown away by the fact that he was completing like 75% of his passes the first half of the season, and it masked a lot of the things that Teddy just simply can't do or was not able to do uh, this season. 15 touchdowns, 11 interceptions as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's just not going to win you a lot of games. It's not going to cut it. Uh, we all know the Panthers had like a – was like a two and eight record or something on those lines in one possession games. Uh, yeah. and, and most of those games, Teddy had the ball in his hand with a chance to tie or take the lead with, you know, three minutes, two minutes to go and either would throw an interception, get sacked, or they would just, you know, miss out on downs or whatnot. And it became painfully clear to me that Teddy is in fact a bridge. He was brought in to be a quarterback to get to the next guy. Like I don't expect head coach Matt rule thought that, Teddy Bridgewater was going to be his quarterback for the next seven years of his contract. I think it was more of a, how do we get out from underneath Cam Newton? How do we bring somebody in to make us competitive and set us up for, you know, the next four or five years after we get out of this weird season here? Um, I thought I saw that technically the Panthers could cut Teddy this off season and save like $5 million. Um, I know 2022 is the day or the year that people kind of look at as the, uh, the year where they can really let him go without any penalty. But is there any truth to that, uh, Skylar, in terms of if they let him go uh, this offseason, the Panthers could, in theory, actually do that with two years left on his contract? Yeah, I think they could. Like I said, I don't have the, the numbers right in front of me, but I don't I don't really see them doing it because, I mean, even if you do bring in a first-round pick at, at quarterback, then you're, you're still going to have to have somebody that's going to be there to 
mentor that guy because that guy's not going to be ready to play game one. That's just not going to happen. Um, unless you're drafting Trevor Lawrence, which that's not going to be in play for Carolina. So I think they need to have a veteran there. So even though it is doable, uh, I just don't see it happening because of that very situation. Plus there's going to be a lot of, you know, other tough decisions that have to be made. They got to, you know, look at the, the contract situation or the future of Taylor Moten at right tackle, Curtis Samuel, wide receiver, and maybe if they are able to, you know, move on from one of those guys, which is going to be hard to do, then it's going to free up some more cap space as well. So, yeah, I, I, to me, I don't think there's there's any reason to get rid of Teddy because, again, I, I felt like he never really got a fair shake because he, he came into this really awkward situation, so much going on, uh, so many rookies, so much newness, and then he uh, – you know, he has that first season. He starts off strong, gets a little, you know, or starts to struggle towards the back end. I want to see what he looks like in year two, but I don't mind seeing what he looks like in year two with a younger quarterback behind him. And and honestly, you know, even if they're interested in taking a quarterback, it doesn't mean they have to take one in the first round. They can look at rounds two, three. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks that have really popped in in the middle rounds. Russell Wilson, the third round pick. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts, second round pick, and he's playing well. So you don't have to have your franchise guy be in the top ten. And if you don't like the quarterback that's the quarterbacks that are there on the board when you're picking at number eight, unless they move up, then I think you take the best player available and then wait and see what happens in rounds two and three. Because I've been a guy where you don't need to draft need. If you draft for need, you're going to get yourself in a big, big uh, you know situation where you could be in some trouble. I think you take the best guy on the board, and if that best guy on the board is not a quarterback and you're not sold on him being your future, I don't think you do it. Yeah, and there's going to be some uh, free agent quarterbacks as well that might be able to come in. I think bottom line, what uh, owner David Tepper and Matt Rule basically outlined in these press conferences was that by no means is the starting job just Teddy's going into next year. Uh, It feels like they're almost setting it up for there to be some sort of competition for it. Um, which I'm not sure how Teddy would react to that, but he should know coming into it after the season he just had um, that he'll be lucky to even be in that position uh, going forward. Uh, follow Skyler on Twitter at Callahan underscore. He is the Panthers beat writer for Sports Illustrated. Um, earlier Wednesday, Panthers quarterback coach Jake Peets was hired as LSU's offensive coordinator. The Panthers uh, also, uh, I don't have the name right in front of me at the moment, they also lost their quarterback uh, DJ Mangus, DJ Mangus, who also left for LSU to become the passing coordinator. Um, Joe Brady has interviewed with multiple teams uh, this week uh, for their head coaching position. Uh, the Falcons on Wednesday, the Texans on Tuesday. Um, uh, it's rumored that he's talking to the Chargers. What are the odds that Joe Brady is still the offensive coordinator in Carolina next season? You know, this one's a tough one to gauge because as much interest as he's getting, it almost feels like he's going to be going somewhere. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you're looking at a lot of these these interviews, and I just don't know that he's going to be able to get a NFL head coaching job after just one year as an offensive coordinator in the NFL because if you look at his numbers, it's not like the Panthers exactly lit it up. They weren't. Right. They, they struggled in red zone scoring. They, they struggled – um, in the red zone period, they didn't have, you know, exactly the greatest rushing numbers. I get Christian McCaffrey was out. Teddy Bridgewater was average at best. So I don't know that that's enough to warrant a head coaching job. I think he is going to be a great head coach one day. I don't doubt that at all. I just don't think now is the time. I think he needs one, maybe two more years under his belt 
before he takes on that responsibility. I mean, you look at like guys like Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. This is a guy that I think he should have had a head coaching job two years ago. Agreed. Yeah. But at the same time, when you look at some of the the, the stops he's been at before without Andy Reid, that's why there's a pause, you know, on, on why to go out and hire him. So when you look at Joe Brady, and he's nowhere even near what the, the Kansas City Chiefs are doing. If he can't get a job, how is Joe Brady going to get a job? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, to me, I think if anything. Joe Brady's going to come back as offensive coordinator. I mean, and I know this this isn't about the Chiefs, but Eric Bieniemy again should have had a head coaching job two years ago. I think he'll get one this offseason. And until Joe Brady takes that next step and that next leap, I think he's going to be you know I think he's going to be here for at least a year. Yeah, and I I, I co-signed the whole Eric Bieniemy thing. I think if anyone deserves to get uh, a head coaching job before Joe Brady, it's Eric Bieniemy. Absolutely, he's put, he's put in the work. He's got the resume. His offense is actually a top 10 offense. Granted, he's got a bunch of weapons out there, but sometimes the offensive scheme makes the weapons too. So uh, I would I would love to see Eric Bieniemy uh, in LA with that Chargers team that's got oh. a whole bunch of talent. Yeah, they're just waiting basically for somebody to kind of nudge them along. And with a young quarterback like Justin Herbert and uh, Keenan Allen on the outside, that would be pretty fun to watch. I do not want to see Eric Bieniemy in the NFC South with the Atlanta Falcons no. <laughs> <laughs> because they do, they have talent as well. Uh, but they may actually be in play for uh, someone like Justin Fields. They have the number four pick in the draft. Matt yeah. Ryan's 35. Uh, I could easily see Fields getting snatched up before they get to us at eight um by the Falcons and letting him sit behind Ryan for a year and then letting him take over like we you know mentioned before so that could be you know potentially in play as well but uh yeah I'm kind of same way with Joe Brady I don't see enough to to say I want him to be a head coach yet unless I'm just a team that's desperate to have a young up-and-coming coach in place right now and I don't know if uh those three would be that maybe the Texans maybe they might throw a flyer out on them like yeah. that, but I, I don't know if they would really do that either. Um, yeah, there's there, there was a, a tweet. I can't remember who said it yesterday, but um, it may have been actually one of the, the Panthers uh, writers. I can't remember who tweeted it, though. And it was a quote tweet saying that apparently Joe Brady nailed the Texans interview, but he, he, he quoted it saying it kind of sounds like a, a good way to say you know, thank you for you know coming in and interviewing, but we're going to move to the next candidate. So maybe that's maybe that's the way the, the, you can take it, but yeah, I, I don't see it happening. I think that was it. Might have been Joe Person from the Athletic. Yeah, it may have been that out. Yeah, um, friend of the program, Joe Person. Um, the Panthers are picking eighth in the 2021 draft. We mentioned that earlier in the segment. Now that we're at the end of the season, Skyler, what would be the one position that would be the top need for the Panthers in the draft, in your opinion? I know that you're not a fan of drafting off need, but just looking at the roster and watching them over the course of this season, what position group do you think? they need to look at the hardest uh, if there's someone there that fits uh you know, best player available. Well, there's, there's a ton of, <laughs> there's a ton of needs. Um, when, when you're five and 11, usually you have like four or five different areas you need to hit up. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest one for me um, is probably offensive tackle. And I, I get the, the concerns with the secondary. I fully get that. I think, you know, Rasul Douglas did an okay job, um, kind of tailed off at the end of the year, but I think he can get to, to be a consistent player. You got Dante Jackson, you have Jeremy Chin, Trey Boston. I think that secondary is okay. I think they came on strong at the end of the year. If you add maybe one more veteran or some guy in the, in the middle rounds, I think it's going to be, you know, I think it'll be good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but left tackle to me is, I think, has to be a, a main priority because 
Russell Okung, as good of a offensive tackle as he is, he just can't stay healthy, and right. he's getting older. So when you have that situation, you have to have somebody that can come in and, and protect your quarterback. We've seen so many games this year. Teddy was running for his life, had guys up in his face, didn't have time to throw the ball, sometimes threw an interception or overthrew a guy or maybe even underthrown a guy because of the pressure up in his face. There was not much time for him to throw at certain points of the year. You have, you, you've got a good, solid right tackle in Taylor Moten. There's no question about that. If you can bring Taylor Moten back and add a solid young left tackle now you've got two really good tackles that can protect your quarterback. You've got a, a pretty decent center in Matt Paradis. I think Dennis Daly is going to be a really good guard if he can stay healthy too. So I think offensive line, you've got to look in that area. Um, and, and I think to me, if he somehow falls to eight and the quarterbacks are not there that you want, Penay Sewell out of Oregon has to be their guy. Ooh, I mean, yeah, that would be great. I That'd mean, could you, could you imagine <laughs> having Penay Sewell on the left side, Taylor Moten on the right side, Christian McCaffrey back, DJ Moore, Robbie Andrew? I mean, that that's an offense right there. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. And, and, um, and, it, and it all depends on the quarterback play as well. But you know, that's you know, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I would, I would love that if he fell. There's always one guy. Like every year, there's yeah. one guy that's hyped at the top of the draft that isn't drafted at the top of the draft and falls. Um, and usually, the Panthers do fairly well when they're drafting in the top ten. Uh, last time they did, they drafted a guy by the name of Christian McCaffrey at eight. So last time they were at pick number eight, they came away with a, a you know a Pro Bowl All Star caliber player. I honestly, I kind of lean towards. I kind of like the idea of building like a Legion of Boom 2.0. You got yeah. a couple of pieces already with like Dante Jackson and Jeremy Chin. I would love it if Patrick Sertan from Alabama is still sitting there at eight, uh, the cornerback um, that by all accounts is probably the best cornerback in college football this year. You put a backfield of Sertan and uh, Jackson with – you move Chin finally to that kind of Cam Chancellor position at safety and, and then Trey Boston next year. I'm pretty happy with that secondary going yeah. forward. Uh, you know, that sounds pretty legit with the way everybody's passing the ball over the place. Um, but I digress. I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen from this point on uh, <laughs> before the draft occurs. <laughs> and we'll have plenty of time to kind of dig into it as we go forward. Uh, Skylar Callahan with me, beat writer for the Panthers for Sports Illustrated. Follow him at Callahan underscore on Twitter. Uh, final question for you here, uh, Skylar. Do you feel the Panthers are moving in the right direction after the 2020 season? A lot of times, a season will end and you'll have a bad taste in your mouth about what you just had to go through, what you had to watch. Um, or you kind of leave it, not really a moral victory, but with a sense that they're moving in the right direction. With everything that's happened this year, with COVID, uh, COVID outbreaks, the Panthers got all the way to week 13 before they had to deal with it on their bye week. Uh, games getting moved around injuries to your best players for them to still come out of it five and 11 when many people thought that they were a three win team at best uh, at the beginning of the year um what what are your thoughts when as the game ended sunday and you go through the exit interviews and everything at the beginning of the week did you feel the panthers are moving in the right direction for the 2020 season and what's the biggest positive that you can take away from this year yeah, I think they are. I mean, you look at, again, like you said, everyone outside of the Charlotte area, you know, that looked at this Panthers team saw two, three wins at the max. And I, to me, when I looked at the roster preseason, I said five and 11, six and 10 at best, because this team has too much talent to win only two or three games. And that, and I didn't, and I was saying five and 11, six and 10 with Christian McCaffrey for them to do that without him. 
and to have them and, and for them to do that with with Dante Jackson dealing with a turf toe all season long and and left tackle being an issue all season long an average quarterback play I, I think it's it's definitely you know heading in the right direction you you have some pieces that you can build around both on both sides of the ball and the biggest takeaway from me is that the this team never stops playing and that's when you know that these guys are bought in and I said since the day that Matt Rule was hired that he was going to be able to come in and establish a winning culture from the very beginning because he has done it at Temple. He has done it at Baylor. It just takes time. You know, when you look at his first years at those two stops, they were very, very bad. They were 1-11, or 2-10, something like that. Mm-hmm. Year two, they went 6-6 six and six or so both at, at both spots. And then the third year, he had them at championship-level team. And I think you're going to see the same thing here. I don't know if they're going to get to 9-7 and seven this year, but – you know, this upcoming year, but maybe, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight, that's that's something that could poss- possibly happen. And then year three, you take that step to being a playoff contender. And you look at some of the teams in the NFC South, there's going to be a lot of changes. You know, Drew, Drew Brees is not going to be around forever. There's speculation that he's going to retire at the end of the season. Tom Brady's not going to be around forever. Matt Ryan's not going to be around forever. Mm-hmm. I think personally, the Carolina Panthers are the best position team to make a run at a Super Bowl out of the NFC South three years from now. Right now, that's a different story. But three years from now, definitely, they've got the pieces. They play hard. They don't give up. And they, they, they're they hanging with teams that they have no business being in a game with, like the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super right. Bowl <laughs> champion. They're hanging with the best of the best. On the road. Year, <laughs> on the road in year one where they have almost nothing going in their, in their favor. They have nothing to play for. And you saw it two weeks ago against uh, Washington. You saw it a couple of weeks ago against Green Bay. They were down big early, and they bought, fought back and almost came out uh, with a win. I like the way this team is playing. Follow, well, again, follow Skylar Callahan on Twitter at Callahan underscore. He is the beat writer for the Carolina Panthers for Sports Illustrated. Always a pleasure having you on, my brother. I'll definitely have you back on again soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on, and uh, I'll be looking forward to it. Coming up. More from the rundown next. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to the rundown. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined for this segment by the for the East Forsyth men's basketball team, uh, Monty Gray, joining the rundown. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Doing very well, man. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Definitely needed to bring you on. Um, I know we're going to spotlight East Forsyth in a couple of games in our uh, Triad High School Friday night basketball game of the week. Uh, matter of fact, I think we're going to be coming to your place next Friday uh, as you take on Reagan, uh, the Raiders. So we should be there for week two. Um, and we'll be broadcasting that out live to the triad on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Um, for starters, let's start off in high school. You know, it's your first year as the head coach for East Forsyth. Uh, what what have your players uh, said about uh, wearing masks? Of course, the, the state has mandated that uh, spring sports indoors like volleyball, basketball, those guys are going to be playing and girls are going to be wearing masks throughout the season, not just on the benches, but actually on the court as well. And uh, we ran we ran into each other at Blue Chips Fall League uh, a couple months back 
where it was well run. Uh, shout out to Kashan Bishop and uh, Blue Chip Academy for putting that together. Yes. Uh, but the players didn't have to wear a mask on the court at that point. Uh, just everyone in the stands, everyone on the bleach, uh, the, the bench and whatnot. Now it's going to be everyone has to wear them even on the court. Have your players adjusted to that and your coaches because your coaches have to wear them as well. I'm going to tell you, to be honest with you, uh, they are not a fan of wearing the mask. You yeah. know, um, of course, it disrupts their ability to breathe. And, you know, I I get it. I, I know why we're wearing it. And, of course, I think they do as well. Um, but, you know, they're having a hard time adjusting to it because, you know, when you're out there and you're playing, a lot of times your mask may come down off your nose, whatnot, and then you have to always constantly remind them to pull it up. So, I mean, but they're they're getting better at it. You know, everybody has to adjust to this new this new way of life right now. So, you know, we, we're trying to do the best we can. Yeah, and, I, you know, it seems like the overall consensus is no one's happy they got to wear them, but they would much be rather playing basketball than not playing basketball. So uh, it's kind of the, well, we'll do it so we can get on the court type thing. And I'm hoping that either some sort of specialty type mask is created for, like, uh, athletic uh, folks, or um, we get to a point where they don't have to wear the mask through the whole entire season. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe we get to that point in this condensed season because it's basically uh, a sprint, right? Like a seven week sprint uh, to yeah, the end of it, February. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be over before you know it. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, again, these kids have been cooped up in the house for eight to, to nine, 10 months. And for them to have the ability, to go out here and play the game they love. I mean, we're fortunate to be able to be on the floor, to be honest with you. So if they have to wear a mask, then I'm sure they're not going to complain too much because they're they're doing something they love. Follow Monty on Twitter at Grayness1. That's Grayness with the number one uh, following it. First year at East Forsyth, I know you're East Forsyth alumni just like myself. Tell me what it's been like uh, coming back to East Forsyth, I know that it probably wasn't exactly the way you envisioned it when you first took the role um, with, you know, hardly anybody on campus and with the restrictions going on right now. But tell me what it's been like coming back home to East Forsyth and being and basically handed the keys to the uh, the men's basketball team by athletic director Alan Plaster, uh, who hired you. Uh, what, what's it been like coming back and what are your expectations for this year, this shortened season that's going to be gone before we know it, really? I'm going to tell you, man, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that I was able to come back home and, you know, be the head coach of the program. Um, it's crazy that that every time I pull into this campus, I still have those feelings of when I was 16, 17 mm. years old. And, I mean, that doesn't go away, believe it or not, even though yeah. – much older than, uh, much older now. So, <laughs> me and you both, brother. <laughs> you know, less less hair on my head, some extra pounds as well. But, <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you, it's it's been a blessing. I've, I've been fortunate to have this job and to be able to, again, try to instill what matters the most in our young men. Um, you know, you don't have everybody really on campus, kids. Of course, you know, we have our our athletes that are coming in and trying to get better, that sort of thing. But um, just being back on camp and campus, man, it's just, it's a gratifying feeling because, you know, you, you, you walk these hallways, you know, you spend time in the gym. Um, I'm back in the locker room actually right now. And, you know, I spent a lot of time back here 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, you know, I can't say enough good things about just being back home and being able to be in a position to coach my, my son and just these other Eagles that we have here on campus. I think it might have been two, maybe two years ago. Uh, I'm class of 96. I graduated from East Forsyth in 96. And uh, about two years ago, I was with uh, another uh, media outlet here in the triad, and we were coming over there to do high school football. And I didn't really realize it until I was back. But once I was back and up in that press box over uh, at the nest in the football field, yes. uh, and, you, and, and you know how East Forsyth does football games, like their press box, I don't know if they'll be able to do it going forward, but their press box looks like a golden corral. Like literally right. <laughs> they right. got, like, right. everything in there you could think of to eat. They've got it in there. And it's almost like a, it's like a mini homecoming. Like you get like a, uh, old faculty and like alumni they pass in and out of that press box and say hello and uh the coaches are in and out of there and it's such a family environment that i i I was almost shocked i was kind of i kind of forgotten about it a little bit because i was so far away and then coming back they treated uh myself and uh my broadcast partner rod funderburg who you're uh, very familiar with uh who graduated in 92 i think he graduated 92 um no 93 he's class 93 93. yeah rod was 93 he uh he mentioned the same thing and like they just treated us like family from day one like like we had never left and anytime we go over there it's that same thing where it's almost like we feel like we're part of the football program at this point uh for what we we do in terms of broadcasting their games and special side note we will be broadcasting the entire east Forsyth football season uh plus playoffs uh, come March on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. We got a couple East Forsyth basketball games coming up for you in the next couple of weeks, and I've got head coach Monty Gray on with me right now. Um, but I, I just wanted to echo that. I feel the exact same way when I pull into the parking lot. Kind of miss the E Hill, the big hill that's in the parking <laughs> lot that used to be there when we were there, that everybody would go down and sled right. whenever there was a big snow cover. But other than that, man, it, it not, not a lot's changed. It's pretty much the same type of hospitality and everything over there, uh, which is why a lot of people enjoy going uh, to East Forsyth. Who on this team in particular, as you look around your roster and shout, actually, you know what? Shout out to you for your first win because you beat Parkland earlier this week. So I got to give you your flowers while I can, while I got you on the mic here for uh, bringing home win number one. Congratulations, Mr. Gray. Um, who Thank are some you. players on Who are some players on your roster that you would tell people to keep an eye out on that uh, either are just brimming with talent or are right there that could be breakthrough guys for you this season? I would probably say right now, you know, of course, we're in the building stages. You know, everything is really new. Uh, we're going to really heavily depend on Jalen Thorns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Thorns has been in the program for years. Uh, he plays football. Yeah. Uh, of course, he plays basketball as well. Um, but he is what I call our team leader. Um, he sets the tone for our program. Um, he's a tough kid. Uh, he gets it done in the classroom as well. Um, I would also say uh, a fellow that I'm pretty uh, comfortable saying this, uh, my son. I think William is uh, going to be able to uh, do a lot of good things this year. I think he's, he's a sophomore right now, and um, he's making the transition of you know coming from private school over to public school. Um, we have a number of players that are going to be in roles of support. Um, I could just name a few. Um, we have uh, Jordan Timmons, football player, senior. Yeah. Uh, we have 
Matt Joins, who will be, will be a sophomore. We have uh, Braxton Stewart that's going to be uh, participating and contributing a lot from, from the wing spot. Um, we have, a, I mean, a, just a good group of guys that like working hard, they like getting after it, and they're, they're, they're committed, man. They're, I mean, they're ready to get after it. So you came from uh, Forsyth Country Day School. You had uh, literally just accepted the girls' basketball position over there uh, back in uh, 2017. What are the major differences you've seen so far between coaching at a, a private institution like Forsyth Country Day and a public institution, a 4A uh, school like East Forsyth? I would think that the schedule, um, the biggest thing is the schedule. I mean, uh, with private schools, you can have up to about 30 games versus, you know, public school, you can only have uh, 23 plus one with an endowment game. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, I mean, you have to travel. I mean, of course, when I was with the private school, we had to travel all over North Carolina, um, uh, parts of Raleigh, Charlotte, uh, up in the mountains a little bit, that sort of thing. But when it gets down to, you know, the bottom line, it, it's all the same. It's all the same. You you have a job in which you're trying to instill, you know, good work habits with these kids and trying to get them ready for, you know, what they really want to do, which is to participate and, you know, be competitive. We'll have East Forsyth versus Reagan next Friday at 7 p.m. live here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. On the line with me, Monty Gray, the uh, men's head basketball coach at East Forsyth High School in Kernersville. Follow him on Twitter at Grayness1. Um, real quick, wanted to shoot over to college basketball, get your thoughts real quick. Uh, the NCAA announced that the entire NCAA tournament will be held in, Indian, in Indiana, excuse me, um, if they get that far. We've seen uh COVID affect a lot of these teams here in the area uh wake forest didn't play a game for like three weeks three or four weeks duke just got back out there on wednesday night defeating boston college but coach k is in quarantine himself for starters do you think they're going to be able to finish the college basketball mm -hmm. season the way it's laid out because the way it's laid out right now to even qualify for the uh march madness you got to play at least 13 games so you're seeing teams scrambling just basically getting as many games as they can under their belt um, but then you got some teams like Duke who only played like five games, six games. Syracuse has been out for like a month and counting. Uh, Notre Dame, there's been a lot of teams that have had to miss a lot of time. What are your thoughts standing back watching how college basketball is doing this? Uh, did Coach K have a point? Did they need to shut this down uh, until they had some sort of master plan in place? Because it doesn't feel like they have a plan. Well, you know, I, I'm a Duke fan, um, and, you know, I know there's a lot of Carolina folks out there, and but I'm 100% Duke fan, and, you know, I, I definitely agree with Coach K and what he basically said in terms of having a plan. But if they follow the model that the NBA uh, provided, um, the NBA was able to get it done. Um, now, again, mm -hmm. I don't know if – they should be able to have it due to the resources and the revenue that's brought in. But if they follow the model that uh, the NBA does or what they did, uh, I think it's, it's going to be possible. But, you know, you got to start thinking about, you know, what's most important and, you know, what's the safest thing to do. And I know people don't want to hear this, but I mean, the probably the safest thing to do is to probably shut it down. Just, just, just giving my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. um, if, if for by chance they do are are allowed to to play, then I would definitely, you know, 
you know, follow the model that uh, the NBA set. Um, they were able to get things done pretty pretty efficiently. Um, they, a lot of those players were able to kind of be quarantined and away from everybody, everybody else. And uh, we were able to, to enjoy uh, NBA basketball again. So there is a, a model that they can follow now. Yeah. That's the question, if they'll do it or not. You know, and looking back on it, I don't think there were hardly any cases of uh, COVID with the NBA once they had their bubble in place and people were in there. I don't, I don't recall anybody catching it uh, there. I know Major League Baseball had a little bit at the very beginning and then right at the very end. But for the most part, they were kind of the same way. NHL had bubbles. Uh, yep. Two different locations. They didn't have any issues either. So you may be onto something there in terms of it might being the way to go. I always thought that because uh, Kay brought this up, and I'm a Carolina fan, by the way. So, uh, uh, <laughs> and everybody knows I'm a Carolina fan. But okay. I, I, I have this uh, this begrudging respect for Coach K and the Duke program. It's almost like having a spotter when you're working out. Like you got to have somebody there with you. You can lift more weights when you have the spotter. So I look at Duke Absolutely. as a Carolina spotter, and vice versa. Um, and their fan base is great too. So we get we we get along besides uh, <laughs> our obvious differences here. Sure. But uh, Kay brought this up back when everything shut down in March last year, like when when they had to shut down and not do March Madness and everything. About a month went by, and he came out and was like, "Hey, we need some sort of plan. Like we need something that we can you know follow going into the season." And the NCAA never came up with a plan. Really, it's really been more like buckshot. Like they just kind of let everybody roll the ball out. If you got sick. It's different than in football because in football, you can still play with 45, 47 guys if three or four people get get it from the same you know position group or whatever. Sure. From, what it, from what's happened in college basketball, if there's a case, like one case on the staff, uh, the roster, they basically have to just you know cancel the game. And like eventually that's going to start to pile up uh, towards the end of this season with teams scrambling to get those games in. Uh, I always felt like they should have took the Power Five conferences, like the like the Big Ten, ACC, mm-hmm. uh, the Pac-12, and each of them have their own conference bubble. Uh, we we've reported on that here that Greensboro had actually approached uh, the ACC to be their bubble for uh, the ACC tournament. And I'm thinking, well, they could, or actually, no, for the entire season, they would have held them up uh, like at Grandover or, right. uh, you know, down the road, uh, Gate City Boulevard, where they already stay for the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, Correct. The, AC, the ACC headquarters are in the Greensboro Coliseum, pretty much. Uh, and they have multiple courts because the Greensboro Swarm, they play in the barn, the auxiliary gym behind the Coliseum. You got War Memorial Auditorium in there. And they basically could have ran exactly the way the NBA ran. You run basically uh, Thursday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play on Thursday, you play on Sunday, or you play on or Saturday, you play on Friday, you play on Sunday. You knock out two conference games every week for eight weeks. You go down to a 16-week schedule. You put a bye week or something in there for teams so that in case they do still miss games, they can make those up. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you got a, you know, you got a 16-plus game schedule in all conference that's going to stand up to anybody in the country and yet all the facilities here to do it. And I've always thought if worse came to worse, that that was in the back pocket of the ACC, that they knew that uh, if it gets super bad, we can always go to Greensboro and finish the season off in a bubble. Or if it gets real bad, we can do the ACC tournament over a week in a bubble type setting. And I think that's kind of where they're at right now. But, uh, you know, with Duke missing so many games, and that's one of the, the ACC flagship programs in basketball. Uh, and others, like I said, I don't even know what Syracuse. I don't even know how good they are. They haven't. I don't even remember. I, I don't even think they've played in like a month or so. So 
it, it's so touch and go and weird uh, this season in college basketball. I'm not really sure how they're going to be able to complete it out the way it stands. Real quick before I let you go, Coach Gray, wanted to touch base with you about our Charlotte Hornets and the third overall pick in the NBA draft, LaMelo Ball. Have you had a chance to check out the Hornets the past uh, week or so as they've started their season? What have your thoughts been on the addition of Gordon Hayward? And what are your thoughts on LaMelo Ball, who clearly has grown from when we first saw him at 15, you know, chucking half-court three-pointers in the middle of games and (laughs) being immature, to now where it seems like he's mature beyond an 18-year-old. And he's got a little bit of, well, not a little bit, he's got a lot of uh, pro game in him. I'm going to tell you, man, um, I I don't watch NBA basketball that much, especially in the early stages. But, I mean, you know, you kind of have to give it to his dad. His dad was on to something early Mm -hmm. on where he was talking about, you know, his sons can play. And right now, I mean, he – I agree with him. I mean, I think his sons are doing great. I think LaMelo has matured. Um, He still has a funky shot. Now, that shot is something crazy to look at. Being a former shooter, you know, I kind of look at that shot, and it's kind of weird. But as far as him uh, being able to to compete and be able to hold his own in the NBA, I I think it's going to be great for the Charlotte Hornets, you know. Haywood coming off his injury and having the trade and coming to uh, Charlotte Hornets is going to be great for him as well. Um, I know he's getting paid a lot of money right now, so he needs to produce. Um, But uh, going back to LaMelo, um, I like what he's doing right now. Um, I think it's just he's going to be one of those players you just need to watch and see how things go uh, as the season kind of rolls on. Um, follow Monty on Twitter at greatness one. Uh, you can follow the East for Scythe basketball team at East for Scythe MBB on Twitter. Um, I know you've got a, do you have a game coming up here at the end of this week or, uh, next week's your next, uh, your next yeah. matchups here? Yeah, we are off for the rest of this week. Of course, you know, a little snow is supposed to be coming here tomorrow. Yeah. So we're next game. Our next game is going to be against our rival team, um, over, the way on the south side of Kernersville, Glen High School. We'll be playing them next Tuesday. And so, you know, our boys are kind of excited. We're getting kind of getting ready for them. Um, actually, today we have practice in about 30 minutes. So that's going to be our next game. All right. And we'll have East Forsyth uh, hosting Reagan next Friday, 7 p.m. live here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. So definitely make sure you tune in for that. Coach, congratulations again on your first win uh, against Parkland earlier this week. Enjoy the little mini buy with the weather and everything that's going on here. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing my Fighting Eagles in action here uh, next week when we come to East Forsyth and uh, check you guys out against Parkland. I mean, excuse me, not Parkland, against uh, Reagan. Listen, I tell you, I appreciate everything you've done uh, for us and our program, especially just all the other uh, teams out here locally. Um, I just want to tell you that you there may be a letter jacket sighting for next week. There may. Ooh, don't tease me now. <laughs> just letting you know. Just letting you know. Awesome. Hey, Rod still breaks his out, man. You saw last time we did one of these, he broke out his leather jacket. So uh, he's definitely proud to be East Forsyth alumni. So can't wait to see you uh, next week, Coach. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Take care, man. See you soon. All right. Coming up, a little bit more. You're listening to The Rundown, Tobacco Road Sports Radio, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com.